I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. The Slaughter Podcast will be discussing topics that some listeners may find disturbing and annoying, but this is just our voices, so suck it. Hi guys, welcome to... It's only fucking episode 20. Holy shit. What did you get me for our anniversary? I got you a t-shirt. That's actually true. Lucy did buy me a t-shirt that With my is face on. like a straight jacket for my boobs. <laughs> But they look amazing. It's like with body goals. Body goals. What I want is to see my face with a smaller version of my face attacking my own tits. So before we start the podcast, we just wanted to um, let you know how you can support the podcast so that we can keep producing this every week because it does take a lot of hours for both of us and we have quite high pressure jobs, I think. Yeah, a lot of children can't read because of this so that's on your conscience so if you do want to support the podcast uh, what you'd be paying for is to um, allow us to keep doing this every week as we are already doing and hopefully still have lives so um, you can support us on patreon.com the website is patreon.com forward slash slaughter the pod and if you're not familiar with patreon it's basically a way that you can pay each month to support us and you get rewards back so there's a few rewards on there if you give a dollar a month then you get a shout out on the podcast and if you give five dollars you get stickers and it goes up from there we i've worked out if half of you gave us a dollar a month we could both quit our jobs isn't that amazing that would be amazing no one would have to put up with me going join your handwriting ever again (laughs) if you want to do something as a one-off and you'd like to get something out of it yourself we also now have merchandise it's yeah it's arrived dropped from the heavens it's exciting so if you want to um, look at the merchandise that is available primarily for the UK you can go to shop.spreadshirt.co.uk forward slash slaughter the pod and then we've got quite a few different pieces of merchandise on there and then you can get pretty much the same stuff on the international one which is slaughterthepod.threadless.com you can buy from whichever but just be aware that you might be paying more in shipping and actually I paid customs fees when I bought from the threadless one so it's up to you but that's a great way that you can support the podcast and also when you're out wearing the tops then you can sort of mention us to your friends as well and come clean about your love for UK true crime so in honour of International Women's Day that happened earlier this week and the anniversary of this crime the 10th of March I'm going to be looking at someone who is part of one of the greatest female criminal groups that Britain has ever seen the suffragettes um, the person in particular that I'm looking at is Mary Slasher Richardson. Mm. Don't get too excited. As with everything in 1920s, it was moderate. Oh, I mean, she sounds like she could fuck a bitch up. But So she was born in Canada in 1889, but she moved to England. And she was a woman of independent means. Her grandfather had been a wealthy banker. It doesn't say anything about her dad that I could find. But they moved to Britain, and when she was here, she became heavily involved in the suffrage movement. Now, the main text used for research for this is another one of my favourites, The Beautiful Idiots and Brilliant Lunatics, which I have mentioned before. It's a really good read, if anyone's interested in getting it. I love a book title. Yeah, don't judge a book by its cover, but definitely judge it by its title, which happens to be on the cover. But also inside the book too. So Mary Richardson joined the Women's Social and Political Union, the WSPU, in 1910. 
and this was after witnessing extreme violence towards female protesters. There was a particular incident on the 18th of November in 1910 when the then British Prime Minister, who we all know as being... Winston Churchill. (laughs) I don't know shit about the Prime Ministers. I don't know shit about shit. (laughs) This is becoming evident. I used to teach history because I was forced to and I did not know shit about shit. It was embarrassing. But the Prime Minister at the time was Herbert Henry Asquith. He dismissed the the conciliation bill. And this was going to extend the right to vote to property-owning women. So not the smart ones, just the rich ones. Like, we don't really care what you've got to say. So long as you've got the money to back it up. I mean, I I think the suffragettes at this point in 1910 were... Obviously, the right to vote for women should have happened a long time before, but I think they were ahead of the time in that they were fighting for equality to vote when there wasn't equality in other places. Yeah. Like, a lot of women weren't going out and working. They were still expected to do certain things. So the right to vote seemed superfluous when they didn't have other rights. Yeah. So these people named themselves the taxed and voteless. They were thinking, well, we're paying all this fucking money, but we don't actually get to say anything, which is fair enough. So about 300 women went to lobby outside of Parliament, and this was known as a Black Friday. I mean, Black Friday is... There's so many now, and I understand there's an annual Black Friday. The sales! The sales. No, this was a real Black Friday when shit was going down. People were being attacked in the street. Have you seen those sales? Yeah, I mean, actually, come to think of it, they were probably a bit more violent because, in particular, they uh, there's a photograph of a woman called Ada Wright that was, at the time, sensationalised as showing the extent of the violence on these women. And it's still now one of the more recognisable pictures. And it shows her on the floor, covering her face with her hands, presumably because she's been beaten and attacked, but I think it's something to do with the fact that she's wearing a hat and gloves mm. and full length dress that makes it doesn't it's not doesn't seem so bad. Yeah. Like she's lying on the floor in a hat and gloves like she's ready to go to a wedding <laughs> at this point. It, you can't get the full horror of a situation when someone is so formally dressed. Yeah. Like she was still pristine. She could have got up and served a dinner party and no one would have known. <laughs> I bet the hat matched the gloves as well. Of course it did. Thought about that chain. But of course at the time to see a woman on the floor and clearly in distress. Mm. In a public street as well. In a public place. And, and the fact that she was wearing a hat and gloves is obviously just that she was a wealthy woman anyway. So it was just, there was outrage. And it was reported that the police had completely lost their heads. Like, oh my goodness, how dare they? How dare they? Was she being beaten by the police? Not in the photograph, but it's assumed that they were beating them. Like, they were going mad. They were just protesting. They were just, like, lobbying outside. And the police attacked them. Which, at that Mm. until that point, there hadn't really been that sort of violence against the women. Yeah. Um, So, at this point, Richardson decided this was a cause worth fighting. And she became a suffragette. And at the age of 20, she would um, start campaigning. And in particular, she would go out into restaurants and speak out at all the men dining there. And they apparently weren't happy about this. And they would throw bread at her as she spoke. To be fair, you're trying to enjoy a nice meal. And then someone comes up preaching throughout the whole thing. I think I'd be pretty pissed off. But I think she's lucky. Like, it shows what kind of restaurant it was that they were pelting bread rolls at her. If she was somewhere a tiny bit down market, they would be sharpening breadsticks and spearing her in the face. <laughs> or even, I mean, the kind of restaurants I go to, the worst that could happen is you'd get slapped in the face with a moist towelette. <laughs> KFC don't really supply you with the needs for throwing food at women. But she was obviously very zealous, really into it. And soon she became known as one of the most militant suffragettes of the time. She was a driving force. She was quite friendly with Emmeline Pankhurst, who was the head of the Mm. WSPU. But she was seen as someone who had quite extreme views and really wanted action. By 1913 to 1914, she'd been arrested nine times. And she was one of the first of two women to be force-fed and be part of what was the Cat and Mouse Act. 
which sounds beautiful, like harmless. The cat and mouse act. Oh, how cute. Sounds like Tom and Jerry, doesn't it? Yeah, it sounds like what could possibly be wrong with something called the cat and mouse act. But basically what it was is suffragettes were getting imprisoned for their acts of protest. And sometimes they were peaceful, sometimes they were violent. But once in prison, the women would continue to exert their power in the only way they had, which is by going on hunger strike. Yep. So they were not simply just like unruly working women in fact it was pretty much the opposite if you're an if you're like a really working class struggling person you couldn't necessarily go out and protest because you had children you were on the breadline. it was tough a lot of people involved in the movement were middle class society women who sort of had the influence had the resources to be able to go out and do this sort of thing so sort of like Mrs. Banks in Mary Poppins. Yeah. Like, yeah, you can definitely go out and protest because the nanny's at home, right? Yeah. But ill treatment of these women in prison was definitely going to lead to scandal and sympathy for the cause. And they weren't going to have a martyr. So force feeding became really popular. And they would hold their jaws open with a sharp steel gag and then insert a tube down their throat, which wouldn't go down easy. So often it would take several attempts and women would be throwing up, they would be injured, bleeding gums, like lacerations in the throat. Were really, it wasn't a nice thing. There's even an account that I read by a woman, very unfortunately named Fanny Parker. Don't laugh, because she was fed through the vagina. Said through the rectum and the vagina. I mean, how does that even That's work? That's not a thing. That's definitely not a thing. Yeah, we've not got, like, wombs that sort of can gobble up food and digest through the intestines. Yeah, I'm on this new diet. I only shove chips up the vagina. Vegetables down the throat. Stick a carrot up there. Chips up the vagina. Healthy. But, I I mean, further into this account of Fanny Parker, it seems that it's more of a humiliation tactic. That they were going through these force feeding rituals, and they were like, "Right, if you're not going to go through with it calmly and without resistance, I'm gonna we're going to do it up your vag. We're going to shove it up your ass or up your vagina." No, and I mean, ass is more logical. It's still horrific. It's horrendous. It's the most violating thing yeah, that you can possibly think of. Pure humiliation. I mean, yeah, it is torture. This reportedly happened in Perth Prison in Scotland in <laughs> 1914. Um. It's disgraceful. But obviously, this was so horrific that it didn't do much for their health. So, yes, they're trying to keep them alive by feeding them, but it's not... They're giving them internal, like... Yes! Problems. And they wouldn't necessarily wash the tubes. People could get diseases and things. So people weren't... It wasn't making you healthy. It was keeping you alive. It wasn't making you healthy. So the Cat and Mouse Act was introduced, which would allow prisoners who were severely unwell to be released... The idea being that they would then feed themselves up and then they could put them back in prison again. So if you're going to go on hunger strike, we're going to let you go until you're healthy, but we're going to get you back. Mm -hmm. You're only on remand. They were being watched constantly. The suffragettes were being spied on. There's a record you can look online and see photographs that people would have taken surreptitiously of these women trying to keep tabs on them. And it was quite a cruel practice of just letting you go, bringing you back, letting you go, bringing you back. They were constantly on edge for for something for crimes that were quite low key I mean there were some bombings like oh my god who even gives a shit like a tiny bombing like one time there might have been a bombing (laughs) just a little one just a little bombing (laughs) but Mary Richardson was part of this process and she'd been sentenced for crimes that included vandalism arson and assaulting police officers some of them were pretty hardcore from the suffragettes oh yeah like they were they were smashing windows. Yeah. They would protest they were, and they yeah. would try. They would fight back against the police officers. They were going to make sure they weren't going down without a fight. Yeah, thankfully. I, I mean, there was a, obviously a film last year that came out. Suffragette. I haven't seen it. I did go and see it. It had mixed reviews. I personally loved it. I thought it was one of those ones that really made you think afterwards. And the thing that it really made me think about was, would I have done it? Yeah. And the honest answer is really don't know mm. like now I'm so grateful for what happened and you owe so much to the women that gave their you know gave their livelihoods to it 
but if I was trying to hold down a job and be a respectable person, that's a massive thing. You're having to throw away everything. I mean, this podcast is risky enough. This podcast, you'd be like, we won't show our faces. Like, this I was for no good cause. Yeah. And they were doing it. So it's really interesting. But in 1914, Mary Richardson would commit the crime that earned her the title of Mary Slasher. And this was with a demonstration that took place at the National Gallery. Oh. Exactly. So, on the morning of Tuesday the 10th of March, she left her home with a butcher's chopper, as she describes it. Her life. Yes. And so in her, she wrote an autobiography and also in this book but it's always described as a chopper is it like one of those big cleavers I imagine a cleaver I'm like when did we all have some sort of smack to the head and forgot the word cleaver like the first time Mary was like oh I took a chopper why wasn't the interviewer like did you mean a cleaver everyone just accepted it maybe she meant a little red bike who fucking knows maybe she had a helicopter stuffed up her blouse (laughs) (laughs) you don't know but she said a chopper she called it and then even there's an interview that she did later with the BBC where she recounts this story and still calls it a chopper like (laughs) 50 years later she still doesn't have the vocabulary (laughs) come on but she says that she had it attached to the inside of her sleeve and that she'd attached it using a chain of safety pins so picture a knife how are you attaching a safety pin to that I String would be more logical. That I don't know what you're piercing. Yeah. The blade? I, I can't even imagine. The handle? Oh, yeah. No. But this is what she says. Unless they're massive safety pins. I mean, why not just say you shoved it up your sleeve? I'm not quite sure of the significance of chaining it to yourself. But as another interesting little fact, the house she left from that morning was a boarding house um, owned by Mrs. Lyon. And she'd been staying there as like a safe house when she'd left Holloway on from her recent uh, cat and mouse release. But this home was actually a former home of Charles Dickens oh. and is now the site of the Charles Dickens Museum. Mm. Quite interesting. So if you go to the Charles Dickens Museum or have been there, Mary Richardson also lived there. Get that on the Slaughteropoly. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to make this happen one day. I, I hate Monopoly so much. <laughs> so in this place Mary says that she planned her attack and she says in her memoir which was called Laugh a Defiance don't get it no me neither I was hoping that when I said the name to you I was thinking is it Laugh at Defiance Laugh a Defiance Laugh a Defiance no there's no colon maybe like Laugh colon a Defiance like laughing no nothing well we know she's not got a great grasp of English because she's calling cleavers choppers um, but she says that she'd planned out this attack for some time and that she'd had approval from Christabel Pankhurst who was Emmeline Pankhurst's daughter portrait of her in my kitchen mm. have you ever noticed it? perhaps no. not, she's sat there um, but she said that she had approval from her but there's records that show that Christabel at the time was in Paris so it's unlikely that she was corresponding with Paris about this idea. But then 40 years later, writing the memoir, she obviously felt she had to justify this attack by saying she had approval because this attack was so widely disparaged. Like, she was told... Personally, it makes sense. But this attack was so widely, like, frowned upon. She, it wasn't received well yeah. by the WSPU, by the public. She was going rogue. Pretty much. But it seems that the catalyst for this attack um, was the day before, Monday the 9th of March, Emmeline Pankhurst had recently been arrested from a train. There'd been an incident at St Andrew's Hall and she'd then come back to London on the train but been the train was stopped by the police and she was taken straight to Holloway. And later in her interview with the BBC, which I think was in 57, you can hear it on YouTube if you're interested... Um, she claimed that she needed to rouse the public because of long-standing mistreatment of Emmeline. So it's really unclear. She embellishes a lot later in life. So it's known that Emmeline was arrested the day before, but then Mary claims later that she was protesting against that Emmeline was kept in this underground cell. She was being mistreated. She was cold. She was damp, as if it had been like happening for a long time. Yeah. I mean, she had been in prison several times, but 
it's confusing. Her account is not consistent. But whatever the case, 10am, she arrived at the National Gallery, armed, and began to browse and sketch. Eventually, she went to her target, which was a painting known as the Rokeby Venus. Now, she's going to stop the shit out. The Rokeby Venus, possibly. (laughs) This painting, the Rokeby Venus, was so called because it was at Rokeby Hall in Yorkshire for a long time. It's a painting by Diego Velasquez. 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 Oh shit, I'm so drunk, I can't even say it. (laughs) Keep that in. I could say it earlier today. Velasquez. 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 Senor Velasquez. I don't know if it works without the face. (laughs) I'm enjoying it. Um, So it's one of its other names is the Toilet of Venus. As in, like, her, like, getting ready time. So did she pick that because Venus is often associated with woman and it's very feminine? Yes, definitely. One of her arguments is that she says later, I picked the most beautiful mythical woman to destroy because the government were destroying Emmeline, who is the most beautiful character in modern history. Like, that was one of her arguments. I mean, I guess at this point, it's kind of like, it's a big movement. It's gathering momentum and it's almost kind of I mean I don't want to discount it but it's almost this kind of one-upmanship in that whatever you do you kind of know it's going to make history a little bit and the more kind of public it can be the more significant to the cause it's going to be yeah Yeah. and with with reason because women had been so sidelined like they needed to be noticed like you could they had to be they weren't in the houses apartment they weren't in places where people were listening to them like you had to do something massive but i mean what i'm thinking of is is like for some woman to go screw it i'm gonna jump in front of a horse is it's like a they know that's going to get noticed and they know that it's going to get yeah. attributed to to being a suffragette and yeah. to, to this massive cause that they feel part of. Are you thinking like the no news is, like no publicity is bad publicity? Sort of, but it's almost like the bigger the bigger the thing and the bigger the statement and the more poetic it can be, the more people are going to talk about this. Yeah. Thing. Yeah. Of course. Yeah, definitely. So I totally understand why she would do it. Yes. Yeah, exactly. She's pick, not picking... Like, it still seemed... To her, it still seemed like a victimless crime. Yeah. But for other people, not quite so much. So this picture, it depicts a nude Venus lying on her side. Her back is to the viewer. And she's looking at the reflection of her face in a mirror that's been held by a Cupid. And it was the only nude that was painted by Velasquez. It was the only nude painted by him, a Spanish artist. He had been an artist, a king of Spain. He was quite well revered. And the National Gallery acquired it in 1906. The Times described it as a marvellously graceful female figure and the perfection of womanhood. However, the owner of it, whilst at Rokeby Hall, described it in a letter to a friend as being a fine painting of Venus's backside. Oh, hello. Wink, wink. And I agree with him for the following reasons. Number one, the arse is giant and fat slap bang in the middle. One. Two, the cherub in the painting is so weirdly proportioned. It's like an 11-year-old boy. It's not like a baby Cupid. It's like a prepubescent sort of transitioning Cupid. He's super uncomfortable and is like crouching and he's like, yeah, I'm holding this mirror, but can I just fucking go and play on my Xbox? I mean, everyone's uncomfortable naked at 11, aren't they? Yes. Three. She's looking at her reflection of her face in the mirror, so that's the only part of her face you see. And it's like an ugly old woman staring back at her. Like it's like the portrait of Dorian Gray. There's the Venus, gorgeous ass in the middle of the painting, off in the background, the face of a hag. <laughs> it's like the witches from Hocus Pocus when like Bette Midler <laughs> changes. And I think obviously together this shows that he was like, I've painted the ass, done my best with that. Fuck the rest. Smudgy old woman face. Crappy child. Done. No one's gonna be looking at anything else. <laughs> is my interpretation of the painting anyway 
That's an art connoisseur. Look, I've got A-levels, man. You don't even know. I've got so many A-levels. I've flopped my A-level art. You? I... I did a painting. Who gets you a got you? a U. I got a U. Ungraded. I did a mannequin hanging from the ceiling and I got a U. Who did you have? I made it out of chicken wire. Mary Richardson approached the painting and she waited until the attendant had gone to walk into another area. Start unclipping a safety pin. Unclipped the chopper from her sleeve and began hacking (gasps) at the painting. She broke the protective glass and managed to create huge slashes in the actual painting. Now, here's where I love it. This is like a scene from Mr. Bean or something. The attendant when he heard the smash of glass, apparently thought a skylight had smashed and looked away in the other <laughs> direction. When he realised it was the painting, ran towards her, but slipped on the polished floor, giving her more time to hack at the painting. Brilliant. I mean, either that's a complete bullshit lie, or it's like a setup. Like, she must have been in cahoots with like, okay, I'm going to smash this painting. Can you fake falling over so that I can have more time to slash it? As if he looked away, ran towards her, slipped on a banana peel, and then... But once he reached her, she was immediately restrained and arrested. And then, literally, a few hours later... I mean, the process of dealing with these suffragettes was slick. A few hours later, she was at Bow Street Police Magistrates Court for her bail hearing. And she was charged with malicious damage with damages of £40,000. For the time. For 1914, £40,000, so hundreds of That's thousands of pounds uh, Mary literally didn't give a fuck though she said she was amazed that they were either going through with the farce of a trial she knew that with the cat and mouse act that if they put her in prison she's like well I'm just gonna starve myself until you let me out what is the point of going through it which didn't necessarily help the judge be more sympathetic to her so he refused her any bail and ordered the trial for the very next day At the trial, Mary put forth her argument. She said, I'm a student of art. It's like it was a hard decision to do. I wouldn't have done it if it wasn't worth so much. Um, How, like, you're talking about the fortune of this painting and I'm talking about the life of Mrs. Pankhurst. Like, can you compare the two? The prosecutor was like, yeah, you're a wicked bitch. It's like that film. Have you seen it? Um, Stranger Than Fiction. Yes. Yeah, I watched it at university as part of um, a module. And it was basically the promise of the film is, is art more important than life? Uh, it's it's the character. And it's almost like they have to consider whether it's worth sacrificing the life of someone for the, the importance of this novel. Um, if you haven't seen it, really check it out. It's really good. But It's Will Ferrell, but in a more serious role, isn't it? He's still pretty ditzy. And that girl that I love, Oh, I don't know. The actress in it, I really like, and she's really cool in it. Like, she owns like a bakery, and I was like, is she this cool? Is she like super cool? She owns a bakery. It's one of those. Ones. They always own a bakery. They like, oh. but like a cool bakery, and you're like, I could live that life. You could never live that life. I couldn't live that life. You, the women in films have got set. These are the jobs they have: bakery, bookshop weird yeah. office job where they get paid insane amounts of money to do hardly any work she was in the sex artist one. those are the only jobs you're yeah. allowed as a woman in film it's the same girl that was in that sex film are you talking about Fifty Shades of Grey no the older one that's like even more oh happy. um secretary that's you're it, talking yeah. about Maggie Gyllenhaal yeah. I love secretary I love Maggie Gyllenhaal but who <laughs> I love her sorry the prosecutor called the act senseless wicked evil he completely condemned it and mary was sentenced to six months which is the maximum for this crime and apparently the judge was nearly weeping because he wanted to give her more and of course she was released literally a few weeks after because she just starved herself until they had to let her go but reactions to this attack were mixed Many people responded with complete outrage. They used language that tried to suggest it was akin to the attack of a real woman. They called it the victim and they talked about the wounds that she afflicted and the bruises on the painting. And the more conservative suffragettes completely disapproved, saying that she had like crossed a line, like artwork transcends something. 
Like, it's not worth the same as a life is worth. It's not a life. It's important. But I, and I was also thinking, if... Show you when... It... Art, art is the importance that people place upon it. Yeah. Like, the same with... Like, art is only worth money if, something, if somebody is willing to pay for it. What's determined good art is so subjective. It's all fashionable and what people perceive to be value within it. But if we had like a post-apocalyptic society, no one's going to be a painter yeah. in a post-apocalyptic society. And no we're going to be prostitutes and we're going to be farmers. I will be a prostitute, you will be a farmer. That's it. Fuck that. We can both be prostitutes. You're the thin one. We'll be prostitutes together. We'll all be trading in guns and food. That's it. That's all that will be important. Sucking dick for flour. <laughs> Flowers. No, flour to make bread. Oh, God, sorry. you know nothing. Okay, fuck you, you're done. I'm, <laughs> I'll be dead. I'm leaving you behind. I'll be one of the first to go, I, I swear. Clearly. I'm gladly. How much flour do you have? How many flowers do I have? I've been sucking dick for flowers. <laughs> I've got a beautiful bunker. And fuck all to eat. Um, another nail in the coffin of this case is that the National Gallery, along with the Tate and Windsor Castle, other attractions, had to close for weeks out of fear of copycat attacks. And so the general public then were pretty pissed off. Like, we, the only reason we come to London is to see this shit. And they felt like the suffragettes were spoiling Britain's heritage and its attractions. Saws. But her point was so clear, I feel. She was saying, like, if you are outraged by the attack on a painting how much more outraged should you be at what is happening to women in this country if you can care about a fictional drawing of a woman why can't you care about the real lives of women yeah and i still feel that Um, and i was talking to my mother many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. About the case today. She was at a Christian conference. Of course she was. She was at a Salvation Army like retreat. Yeah. And there was a speaker who has worked with homeless youth on the streets. And he was on the stage and he said... Oh, so a lot of these people have really shitty lives. And she said, when he said the word shitty, everyone in the audience just went... (gasps) But then he turned around and said, right, how many of you have just gasped at the fact that I said a swear word and didn't care once when I talked about what their lives are like? Yeah, you bitches. And 
that I think that's exactly what he said is exactly what Mary was trying to do with the painting. Like people care about the smallest, and even with this podcast, people will be like, "Oh, she said cunt, did she?" But I want to hear about the grisly murders, not that foul language, bitch. Please, if I'm going to tell you about the dismemberment of a body, you can hear the foul words that come out. Like no word I can say is worse than what Dennis Nielsen yeah. did. Are you kidding me? So you've just justified as saying whatever the fuck we want, and I love it. Yeah, because I'm not Dennis Nielsen. That's no. my like. Uh, I'm a Dennis Nielsen though. No, done. However, before we're all going to rush out and demand a blue plaque be put for Mary Richardson. With a lot of people who do a lovely thing, they live a long life. And when you live a long time, you can fuck up. <gasps> Her political career didn't end with the WSPU. So in the 1920s... Oh, did she do a racism? She might have done a racism. Oh, no! She ruined it. She did. Like, she stuck with a black picture. <laughs> no. Um, so the 20s and 30s, she stood for the Labour Party. Like, fine. Yeah, Going from the women's group to Labour. Fine. She stood several times as a parliamentary candidate. She was doing really well. It was just the fact that Labour lost out to the Conservatives. And I think she was kind of disillusioned by the fact that she kept losing... So in 1934, she joined the hottest new movement happening. No. The British Union of Fascists. Oh. I mean, like, how can you go from suffrage, labour, fascism? What's she cho- fa- She missed, like, three steps in the middle. Wasn't fascism always a dirty word? Yes! Right. Like, so the leader of the fascist... So it started in 1931 by Oswald Mosley... And they were referred to as the black shirts. And he created it because he'd visited Mussolini and was like, this is the way that I want Britain to be run. And it was so, it attracted Mary because she felt the spirit of the group. She loved the militism and like. She loved the racism. She, at the time, she like at the beginning, it's like she just liked the fact we're that they were gonna... fighting for something. Is that really the way it went? Well, at the beginning, with the British Unions of Fashion, with the BUF, they weren't racist. They included, I think, the fact that they included women quite heavily. And they didn't have any specific, at the start, in lovely racism. weren't clearly against any right. any race or ethnicity. They were just wanted a more, like, control. Like, they hid it in almost morals. Well, it wasn't there at the yeah, beginning okay. it wasn't there at the beginning and the, she saw a place for women and saw that they could play a large part in building fascism that she couldn't get from the mainstream parties of Labour and Conservatives so she started out as an assistant to the officer in charge of the women's section and their job was to nurture female interest recruit females which other parties weren't doing and one of the big things they did was train women in self-defence they taught them jujitsu. Because that is a suitable defence for the weaker sex. Yeah. No, give me a fucking hammer. Yeah. Give me a chopper up the sleeve. So women made up between, throughout the years, made up between a fifth and a quarter of the British Fascist Union. But despite that, in 1933, a HQ bulletin had been sent out stating that female members were no longer permitted in the headquarters except for specially authorised occasions, such as concerts. Because you know we're really good at picking songs as the Plymouth Brethren tours. So we can go to a concert. Like, we know what we're doing there. I mean, they need that upper tier when they sing along. Need those sopranos. Of course. But April 1934, Mary became the chief organiser of the women's section. This, unfortunately, was the same year that anti-Semitism became the official policy of the BUF. It seems that this might have jolted her to her senses. Like, she realised shit wasn't going quite the way she'd planned. And she did leave in 1935. Oh, that's good. So once they started going really racist, she definitely... She got the hell out of there. And she just totally turned her back on politics. She was like, okay, tried them, tried them. I mean, the racism put her off, and I think that's... She thought she'd found the answer, and it turned to be absolutely disgusting. And I think she was like, I'm done. I think that's fair enough. So she adopted a kid. Because that's what people do. Yeah. When if your marriage is failing, have a kid. If your political career is done, adopt a kid. 
Like, children definitely make your life easier. But she adopted this kid, a boy. He was called Roger Robert. Oh. Can't have that. Did she name it? No. Perfect. That was his original name. So she had to change it to hers, Roger Richardson. <laughs> Slightly better. Slightly. And then she... So she lived with him, she had a more fun life, and wrote her mem. She wrote novels, she wrote poems, and she wrote her largely embellished memoir, Laugh of Defiance. She did, like I said, she did the interview in the 50s for Women's Hour, and she died in 1961. I bet she kicked a few Jews before she died. She jujitsued some. She jujitsued. That's why (gasps) they picked it! (laughs) If that's why they picked it, I think we've cracked the code. In honour of International Women's Week, I have also focused on some females, um, but you'll find out more about them soon. Wombs and all! So I have picked a crime from Dublin, Ireland. Fuck no! Which I have been practising my Irish accent. Two phrases that I got from Dublin, basically because I was staying in a really shitty area, so every time I spoke to a taxi driver, I said, can you take me to the street? First response, Fuck no! Second response, are you here for the crack? Obviously we're here for the crack. Yeah, we're always here for the crack. If there's crack, we're there. So a lot of my research has come from a book called More Bloody Women, Ireland's Deadliest Females. Shalila Saeed Salim uh, arrived in Ireland in 1996, age 31. So we are going to focus on Shalila Saeed Salim. Say that three times first. I can't say anything anymore. Um, After this bottle of wine. Nope. (laughs) And he turned up in Ireland. He had a wife and three children in Kenya who he had told he would send for once he had found work. Wink. I promise I'll send for you. Uh, He went to party and... You don't go to Dublin if you're not going to party. I mean, basically, yeah. So he never intended to send for them. Um, he He was out for the crack. Um, he used the name Farrar North, so from now on I'm going to refer to him as Noor. Um, and he began using the story that he was from Mogadishu, which is a war-torn city in Somalia. And he told everyone that his family had been slaughtered, shout out, and that if he returned to Somalia, his wife would also be in danger. It's not a real murder, so it's fine. He also made himself two years younger. Why just two years? I know. Like, if you're gonna, if, like, you really need to lie. Like, like I'm 31, I'm going to be 29. 29 does sound a lot better, though, doesn't it? I suppose. As someone who's not quite yet 29, I'm going to want to cling on to it for a while. <sighs> That's just great. It's 29 sounds so young to me Please, I've got a number of months. It's you're coming. a mere child. <laughs> <laughs> um, his father was Somalian and had died... Uh, but the, so he, uh, there was some truth in the Somalia story, but he wasn't. One of his family had died. Yeah. Like, you can't, like, I said, my, you said your family was slaughtered. I didn't say how many were slaughtered. That's such a dickish lie to make. Um, I don't think, I don't think his dad was slaughtered either. His dad just died. Slaughtered a- by pneumonia. Um, but the rest of his family was alive. He even had a brother in Toronto. He began to live like the locals and he... Like the locals in Dublin. So he began drinking. <laughs> okay. I was going to say what the cultural difference is. Like, he began to live like a local, smearing his face in cockerel's blood and what the fuck? To be fair, he wasn't that much like the locals because instead of Guinness, he chose vodka. He would get through bottles and bottles a day. He should have gone to Russia. Bitch, please. Yeah, exactly. You're not allowed anymore. So um... He was down coppers, out his face on vodka... <laughs> Unlike the locals, I would like to say he was violent. I'm not assuming that all Irish are violent because um, he was a violent person. I've never met a violent Irish in Dublin. No. We're too busy dancing! But we did do a few things that these people did. Uh, other than murder. Uh, crack. He, we didn't do crack. He was also... So he was violent and he, um, he... What he would do is he'd go out and he'd get fucked, as you would. But then he'd kind of say are you a racist why are you being racist then he'd start a fight with someone so he'd just find an excuse racism being an easy way and then he'd just start fights with people in 1997 in an amusement arcade nor raped a disabled Chinese girl oh he was a shit he was a bastard that's niche she, yeah she was a virgin and she was age How 16 you know? but she she professed to being a virgin oh my god 
awful. She became pregnant first time, as often happens, and gave birth to the baby, and he wanted nothing to do with it. I mean, I don't, I don't know why she would want him to want anything to do no. with it, given the circumstances. Dear God, no. Um, the same year, Nor also preyed on another sixteen-year-old. So this time he did a lot of the grooming behaviour. So he was kind to her. Um, he pushed her wheelchair. This one wasn't disabled. But he began having sex with her. She also became pregnant. She had a son. And she said that at first he was quite a loving father. But over time began to rape and beat her oh. on a daily basis. So he was a nasty bastard. He wouldn't let her leave the house. I mean, this is clear domestic violence, um, abusive behaviour. 16 as well. He's fucking 31. Yeah. Saying he's 29, still weird. And he's not, not being funny. Well, I am being funny. If you're 31 and you've targeted two 16-year-olds in a row, I my theory is you want a 15-year-old yeah, and you're going for... Yeah, you're a paedophile. If you're specifically targeting 16-year-olds, you're a paedophile who doesn't want to get caught. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's awful. Judgment. And also, what 29-year-old... He's not right- 29! He doesn't know shit what a 29-year-old wants. 31. What 31-year-old wants to get with a 16-year-old. I teach 16-year-olds their dicks. What 31-year-old who's already had to abandon one family because he's got kids over there wants to keep impregnating people? Like, condoms aren't that bad. Yeah. They're really fine. I promise. He's an an awful person. They lube them and everything. Like, they make it as easy as possible to use. I mean, they're not the same, but still... (laughs) So he was, I mean, he was doing all the violent behaviour. He was a bad man. He was controlling where she went. He wouldn't let her use the phone. He accused her of cheating. He made outlandish accusations and then beat her. I mean, basically what I want to say is, if this is happening to you, that is not normal. Get some help. It's not normal. It's not normal. It's not okay. The thing is, as a 16-year-old, you don't know what's normal. That's the problem. Like, I put up with a lot of things. Not as bad as that, but you put up with a lot of things in your first relationship because you think we're in love this is what's supposed to happen it's yeah. rarely that it's and you think they care about me I when I was 18 I was in a relationship and he was I, I tell my students that I teach I teach citizenship which is basically don't be a dick course um, which is where you teach children what will happen if you are a dick which is you go to prison and then I teach preparation for life which is <laughs> which is don't let people be a dick to you so that is like if people are a dick to you, then this is what you should do about it. That's to year 11. So um, when I teach preparation for life, I have told them a little bit about my past relationships. And actually, age 18 to 23, I think I put up with more than I should have. I had quite a jealous boyfriend. And I do feel like if I was in that relationship now, there was no way that I would put up with. I mean, I used to have to lie about where I went. I mean, one indicator, we weren't friends for that period. yeah. I think you would have been like break up with him <laughs> to be yeah. honest yeah I mean he used to he didn't want to meet my friends I used to have to lie back where I went there were certain photos I didn't want to go on Facebook because I knew he'd get annoyed about and actually if it was now I was being fine I wouldn't stand for that but when you're younger you're kind of like maybe this is what a relationship is and you're told constantly that love conquers all that love is a thing and you feel like if you love that person that you have to put up with things because you love them like oh well in the end we'll get married and it'll be fine and i'm sorry but you can love a lot of people yeah it's really easy to fall in love with someone yeah and i think because i've got a very supportive family and actually they've taught me don't let people be a dick to you that i kind of i put up with a bit because i mean we're living separately but i don't think i ever would have taken that step to move in with him because i think i knew this isn't going to satisfy me in the way that i want and that is more that i can get alone with a, a guy who is never jealous and Actually, annoyingly so <laughs> annoyingly so if I snog someone in front of him he wouldn't even notice like well I'm sure he deserved it yeah I'm sure she's just <laughs> she's probably just doing it to to be friendly yeah she's been alright it's fine uh, which just is great do it again <laughs> oh yeah, yeah he would that. yeah he would he would it'd be fine this nor uh, made outlandish accusations and he would beat her he would get her to strip I mean this is horrific strip blindfold her tie her up and then take photos of her in suggestive positions and then we play them to her and laugh I mean and he'd, he'd like video it he'd show his friends I mean it, oh. it's awful a female lodger came to live with the couple and oh brilliant if you're in a really fucked up abusive relationship get a witness 
get a witness she lasted three weeks and she saw all Kwanzaa shit and she basically moved out for her own safety and the lodger said he beat her he knocked her to the ground and she'd had the baby at this point and she said even if she was holding the baby he'd knock her to the ground and motivated by jealousy but the young girl that he was with still believed they were in love and that actually he'd be nice afterwards and it would be fine but obviously not she did eventually leave him thank goodness with the support of her family and he stalked her for over a year after that point so he made her life hell for a long time so this guy's a prick he met Kathleen Mulhall in a nightclub in Dublin as you do Kathleen is a lot older than his previous girlfriends so he's been going for 16 years oh what 17 and 3 quarters she was 45 oh shit (laughs) a man of extremes (laughs) yeah so they met in a nightclub and she was introduced by one of her daughter's friends to Norm which is one way to meet people she had six grown children so six adult children she had been she'd been through the wars she had um, she'd served her time if she wants to meet a guy in a nightclub and fuck him she has paid the toll price for that well I mean yeah but I mean she was married at the time oh shit okay so she was maybe wind it back in (laughs) just a little bit yeah she was quite a vulnerable person she was an alcoholic she was looking for something I mean she was she was in a rough situation she'd had a difficult life Uh, within months of meeting Noor she separated from her husband who had also her husband was called John he had also been fairly abusive and he had had multiple affairs as well so obviously Mm -hmm. their relationship was rocky so basically the whole the whole situation was fucked up Kathleen's sons also had convictions they were in and out of prison her daughter Linda had four young children she drank excessively and took drugs she had another daughter Charlotte she also drank a lot took drugs and she was working as a sex worker so the whole family is in disarray difficulties a lot of poverty and kind of struggling really Kathleen moved Nora into the family home oh yeah and forced a lot of her family to move out so her husband moved oh. out he took a lot of the children he with him he must have been incredibly manipulative to engineer that yeah because I don't believe for a second that she was the one that kicked out her family when she was married and all of that and got him to move in like he would have made that happen I think she was very easy to manipulate neighbours were reportedly disgusted with her behaviour and they I think they made life quite difficult for her they were quite rude to her and she and Noor eventually moved to Cork and John and the children moved back into the home that they'd been living in previously so she and Noor were isolated now and if there's any if there's ever a bad thing if you've got an abusive partner is to be isolated with them yeah. awful so in 2004 Noor and Kathleen moved back to Dublin and people who had been in Cork living near them said they had seen Kathleen with bruises regularly they'd heard constant arguing so again it's an abusive relationship someone had better stab him with a pair of scissors pretty no scissors ugh I was hoping like it was going to be like Peaky Blinders that they were going to be like oh the scissor sisters we keep a pair of scissors behind our ear and then we stab you with the scissors no scissors ugh one landlady reported the relationship there were splashes of blood all over the wall obviously she was more worried about a deposit kicked him out but it goes to show you that there was... Like, if you're going to beat her up, put down some tarpaulin. Yeah. That's the least you can do. The very least in this situation is to be a tidy abuser. <laughs> they moved to Richmond Gardens where they when they got to, back to Dublin. Um, and Kathleen got back in touch with the family. Most of them weren't that interested, but her two daughters were, and they would visit her. Um, they didn't like Nor they knew he was violent they were used to her having a violent relationship but they just thought they also thought he was quite creepy and her youngest children and her husband wouldn't see her so men being violent wasn't actually that unusual in their in she that family desensitized like, like expected it but because it had been around the daughters actually had experienced it as well so linda had lived with wayne kinsella who had 25 convictions one was for manslaughter and he he had beat her and her three children for years as well and she'd let it happen he used to lie them on the bed and whip them with um, a piece of wood 
and she she just let it happen she was so used to violence in her but life as well like how can you escape from that if you're worried like thinking he's gonna come and get you like you yeah. would you, you don't feel there's an escape when we've done it about abuse in school as well i do find that students often say to me oh well duh how do they not know that that's wrong you know it's wrong but you don't know what options you've got but i'm not sure if you've if that's all you've ever seen a relationship to be i'm not sure you de- you definitely know that's wrong i think i think there's an element of that is what a relationship is it's it's beyond it's so complicated there's so many things involved you can feel like that's not really them and that the real them yeah. deep down is different you can feel like you blame yourself yeah, well I did something, something I, did, I yeah. did something to get them in that state you can feel like I don't know how to get out of it there is so much more you can feel like well he's my husband he's the father of my kids I can't just abandon him where will I go like there is a lot more than just I've been here I've got to leave yeah she, I mean, she did eventually prosecute against him more because of the children, but she tolerated violence from him for a long time. And it was almost like the family, that is what happened. The men abused the women and it was almost okay. She had had the children taken away from her as well and she began to drink very heavily. She had several suicide attempts. So Linda was struggling. Now, she did begin to get a lot cleaner. Um, she did want her children back, but um, she had a reliance on drink and drugs by this point. So the incident we're going to talk about is on March 20th, 2005, um, which is weird, it's in March as well. Uh, Both sisters started the day with a glass of vodka. So they got up and they were like, fuck this. Yeah, today we're starting with vodka. Um, It had recently been Charlotte's birthday, so they were almost kind of celebrating. So they received a call from Kathleen to meet her, uh, so their mother and nor for a drink in the city centre. So they went to meet them, leaving two of Linda's children at the house, which were, from what I could gather, about 11 and 15. So okay, okay. to be left alone, but probably not great. Meh. Because Dublin is so expensive, which we've experienced ourselves, they bought alcohol and they drank on the street. Uh, so Catherine, Linda and Catherine also took tablets of ecstasy uh, just to liven up the mood. Oh my God. Uh, but nor didn't however he did having drank quite a lot of vodka begin to become quite aggressive and he was pulling and dragging kathleen along the street so the girls obviously didn't like this and they decided that they were going to go back to kathleen's flat to avoid a scene so to try and calm down nor linda crushed up an ecstasy pill and put it in his drink which is i mean completely unethical giving someone drugs against their will so instead of subduing him the ecstasy made him more aggressive and he grabbed linda the daughter he's even repelling ecstasy what the fuck he latched onto linda like not like he was not letting go there were i mean there are suggestions i'm not positive but that he was trying to grope linda or rape linda but charlotte and kathleen at first tried to ignore it and then they um they realised that it was getting aggressive. So they screamed at him, but he continued to drag and grab Linda, making motion. So he kept putting his finger across his throat and almost like a, you're on pain of death if you were in, interrupt or something like that. It was something weird. He stopped and then he grabbed Kathleen and he started dragging her He's towards like, well, the Well, the sign language hasn't worked. So we'll try ransoming your daughters. So he changed tact and he grabbed um, Kathleen, his partner, and he started dragging her towards the bedroom. And she said to her two daughters, please kill him. Please, <gasps> please just kill him for me. Reportedly. Like it's gone this far. Yeah. Charlotte went to the kitchen. She got a Stanley knife, which is Why like a... Why have you got a Stanley knife in the a kitchen? A DIY knife, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, it shouldn't be in the fucking kitchen. Yeah, weird place to have it. But... She... I just carved a face and unless it's like when I carve face and like a potato to make myself happy. <laughs> right, more under heart. A little bit. <laughs> so she grabbed Noor from behind and she slit his throat. So she dragged this knife across him. He fell on the bed, dying, and Linda grabbed a hammer and she hit him hard on the head, so hard that she felt his skull crack. Where did you get the hammer from? The bathroom? probably they both then stabbed and hit him to be sure he was dead so they once you've started i think that was it and i think they were so scared they were both high on ecstasy hammered as well and i think they just wanted they just wanted it to be over with kathleen 
got up, went back to the living room, started watching Come Dine With Me. Well, it might not have been Come Dine With Me, but she started watching TV. The girls came in and they were like, I can't believe he's dead. And they all cried together. So I think it was part relief. It was part shock. It was part surprise. It sounds like desperation. I think like there was absolute a... drug fuel desperation. I think there was an element of that, but I think I think what would look bad on them is that possibly the there are other alternatives. They could have phoned the police. They could have run out screaming for help. They didn't. They didn't have to go for murder. But I have a lot of sympathy for the killers in this point. In this point, because he is such a bastard. He brought them to a tipping point. He did. I mean, what didn't help them is what they did next. So oh. they realised they would have to do something. When did they cut the scissors? There's no scissors. Oh, for fuck's sake. There's no scissors. There's no lesbian sex. There's no actual scissors. Nothing! No. They realised they'd have to do something to get rid of the body. So Linda and Charlotte... It's... So Linda and Charlotte dragged the body to the bathroom and started using a bread knife and the Stanley knife and the hammer and they spent the whole night severing the body now it does go into detail in the book and no. it, and on the documentary i'm not going to go into any more detail than that but it is graphic all night God. the whole night i mean honestly it took them forever it's it's a hard job even with the right tools and they did not have the right tools they I'm severed they'd had a pair of scissors this might be over and done with <laughs> They severed the limbs, they severed the head, they severed the torso. Uh, To dispose of the body, the sisters put the body parts into bin bags and sport bags and they threw them into the Royal Canal, which is the canal that goes through Dublin. The head they took to a park in T-A-L-L-A-G-H-T, I don't know how to say that in a Dublin accent, Talacht, Talacht, and buried it. However, their burying was Horrific. I mean, they were still high, they were still drunk. But they had a bit of, like, bag poking out of the hole. So Linda worried about it. She went back a few more days later and she moved it um, using her son's school bag. The murder was discovered when somebody walking by the canal, about a week after the, the actual murder, spotted a leg in the water with a sock on it. And a lot of people had seen this leg and said, that's probably a mannequin. This person, I think maybe it was a sock that gave him a hint, realised it wasn't a mannequin. I think that's one of... I think that's a catchphrase from Twisted Philly. It's never a mannequin. I've heard that too. So, Noor was identified by the T-shirt he'd been wearing, which was still on his torso. Said slaughter available from threadless and spreadshirt.co.uk it did indeed and he was connected to the three women there had been witnesses there were people that knew him and they started looking through the three women and um, his head and his penis were never found now nah. do you think they're buried together no that's got to be coincidence like he was such a fucktard nobody wants to keep that penis that was flushed if anything it was flushed straight down the toilet do you not think it's like a bit of a joke on the go fuck yourself? So the girls were arrested and bloodstains were found in the flat that were matching Noor's DNA. So it was obvious they were involved. It was completely obvious that it was down to them. And both were charged with murder and pleaded not guilty. Um, Linda was found guilty of manslaughter and she got 15 years in prison. And Charlotte was found guilty of murder and she received life in prison. Which I, I felt kind of bad about. Considering what a prick he was. Kathleen received five years for helping to clean and giving false information, but she was not involved in the murder and she was not involved in hiding the body. So I think really she got off quite lightly. John Mulhall, the the husband, hanged himself after the sentencing in 2005, uh, quite publicly. Now, if you think of those poor children that belonged to the sisters, they had must have had an awful time of it. James Mullall, one of the brothers, took on the children and he supported Linda's children, but he also continued to face conviction. Unrelated to the crime, but they weren't very nice. But he took on the children, which I think was fairly noble. He didn't rape them, which is a step up from a lot of people in this fucking story. So that's the Sister Sisters of Dublin, Ireland. So thank you for listening to episode 20 of Slaughter. Please do continue to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. That is a really good way of helping other people find us. We'd like to give a quick shout out to another podcast that we've been enjoying called The Parapod. It looks at the paranormal and conspiracy theories and it's really funny. 
So listening to Slaughter doesn't make you a psycho, but raping Chinese 16-year-old disabled children does. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.